The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God has commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Genesis, and we're smack dab in the middle of it. And for the past eight weeks, we've been following the life of Abraham. If you remember, eight weeks ago, we started Genesis chapter 12. It's the beginning of a new chapter in Genesis. First 11 chapters of Genesis are about the creation of the world and the early happenings of humanity. And then you get to chapter 12, and the story just slows down. It slows down so much, I felt like I was preaching the same sermon for like six of those eight weeks. It was just in, 12, in, in Genesis 12, eight weeks ago, eight, nine, ten chapters ago, whatever, um, God appeared to Abraham, and he made a threefold promise to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. I'll give you many descendants. I'll give you a great land. And so he, he made this promise of a child, of a land, and of being a great nation. And Abraham had to follow the Lord to go to where God was leading him to go throughout that process. And then we follow the story. And over and over and over again, what happens? Abraham and Sarah, they doubt that God's going to come through on his promise. They get old and older, and God just shows new ways, gives them new ways of seeing how he is going to come through on that great promise. Now we come to Genesis chapter 21, and 25 years have passed. I know it felt like just eight weeks to us, but it was 25 years that have passed. Abraham and Sarah have grown older and older. There have been times of doubting. They've gone past the age where this would happen naturally. But God is finally coming through on his promises, as he always does. God comes through. He always does. Our God is faithful in all that he promises. If he says it, you can believe it. He is faithful, and he will come through. It might not be when you want him to come through. It might not be how you want him to come through. But our God comes through. Always, every time, he is faithful. This idea is stressed three times in the first two verses of this passage. Let's look at it together, church. Verse one, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised, as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time in which God had spoken to him. It's like God is just emphasizing, like I told you fools, I'm gonna do this thing. He's emphasizing it. Our God comes through. Have you forgotten that simple truth? It feels so simple. It feels so elementary, something that you teach your kids. 
Yet it is so, so easy to live as functional atheists, forgetting that God even exists, forgetting that he cares for us, forgetting that he's come through time and time again. This Easter, as uh, Chris was mentioning a few moments ago, this Easter is our five-year anniversary as City on a Hill Somerville. And one thing that I've been doing, and I'm actually going to give all of you an exercise to do this as well, um, but one thing I've been doing is just reflecting on the past five years of my life. Uh, I'm almost 37. I was 32 years ago. Uh, uh, I was 32 five years ago. 32 years ago, I was five. Um, (laughs) Simple math. Um, And the Lord's done a lot. In five years, I was just looking through some journal entries. What has he done? Things that I was praying for, simple things. You know what I didn't see in my journal entries, though? I saw a lot of prayer requests, and I saw very few documentations of how the Lord answered those prayers. But I know. I know how he answered them. Because I look at those prayers, and I'm like, oh, it took six months. But I saw that happen. Like, God did that. I never recorded it. I never gave him credit. I never praised him on it. But the Lord came through time and time again. It's so easy to forget the ways that God comes through. We tend to lean on our own understanding, our own strength. We see our problems as our own. Even though the Lord loves us, even though he's told us, hey, I'm in your corner. I got your back. We act as though he doesn't care. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know who's here completely. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know that you need to hear this. Because I do too. Our God comes through. Our God, he comes through. He lives up to his promises. When I say, if he said it, you say, I believe it. If he said it, if he said it, (laughs) now we need to be a little careful with this uh, because I don't want to just come up to it and say that you read any promise from the Bible and you just claim that as your own because I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible is an ancient book written thousands of years ago and it wasn't written to City on a Hill Somerville. It was written for us to benefit from it, but it was written to a specific people in a specific time at a specific place. And so it wasn't written just to us. And so when we read uh, a promise of God, like God showing up and saying, I promise to give you a child, I hope that you don't have that promise hanging in your home and your prayers that you would conceive. (laughs) Because the Lord was speaking to Abraham and Sarah. He wasn't speaking to us. And so sometimes when we come to his promises, we misconstrue them and we misinterpret them and we see them as promises to us when they weren't promises to us, but they were promises to specific people. This happens all the time. I see this happening all the time. One of the biggest perpetrators of this uh, biblical principle, the way that we read the scriptures, is in Jeremiah 29. That great verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Plans for welfare and not for evil. 
that's true. Like, he does have plans for you, and he does know them. But when he spoke that verse, he's speaking to Jeremiah, and there's a very specific situation, a very specific uh, context that he was speaking to. You see the people of Israel, they've been brought into captivity, they're living in the city of Babylon, and so they're worried, like, what's going to happen to us? And God's saying, you're going to be here for 70 years. You need to calm down. You need to start families. You need to plant gardens. You're going to be here for a little bit, but don't worry. I know the plans I have for you. Now, it's fine if you can take that interpretation and say, okay, he knew about Israel. He loved Israel. He loves me in the same kind of way. He has plans for me also. But it would be wrong for you to read that and see everything that he promised to Israel as something that you can name and claim for yourself. That would be similar to you saying, God's going to make a great nation out of me. He's going to give me a great land. And so you show up to your neighbor's house and say, God's promised me a great land. You need to move over so I can expand my land a little bit. That's not the way that the Bible's meant to be read. But God has given us many Many, many promises. Let's just talk about a few. Here are a few that you can name and claim, okay? I'm not one of those name it and claim it preachers. I'm not like you, you name, I, I'm gonna name this personal jet. I can just claim that in the name of the Lord and now it is mine. That is not the way we, we roll here. But with these promises, you can name and claim them, okay? Here we go. God promises to finish the spiritual work that he started in you. He's gonna finish you, church. He's not gonna leave you. He's gonna finish you. Philippians chapter one, verses, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. If he said it, thank you. God promises to give you rest for your soul. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. That sweet verse, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If he said it, God promises that his grace is sufficient for your struggles. We did this one during our confession earlier. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Now we speak into Paul here, so we have to be a little careful but you'll see how it, how it carries over. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If he said it, God promises the peace of God to guard the hearts and minds of those who feel anxious. If you take your anxieties to him, he promises that, that peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind. Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you said it, God promises to hear and to answer your prayers. Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. That, that's pretty simple, guys. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the, to the one 
Who knocks, it will be open. If he said it, God promises to give you the desires of your heart. He does, if you delight in him. If the desires of your heart are the same as the desires that he has, Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God comes through when the things that you want are the same things that he wants. God comes through when the things that you want are the same thing as he wants. And God promises to make all things work together for your good, believer, in Christ this morning. Romans chapter 8. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. If he said it, Jesus promises that he's going to prepare a place for us in his Father's home and that he'll come back and he'll take us there. The promise that we can all count on. John chapter 14, in my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am also, that where I am, you may also be. If he said it, What would it look like if you believed all of these things all the time? I mean, just taking God at his word, hearing what he has to say to you, if you took his promises and you just embraced those in your own heart and you believed them all the time. Well, I think the scripture gives us a few examples of what that looks like. I think about in, chapter, in Acts what the disciples looked like. These were men and women who had seen Jesus Christ risen from the dead. They had experienced it in a powerful kind of way. And so those promises that they had received were ringing very true to them. And so it gave them the power, though they might get arrested and taken to jail, Though they, they, they might be persecuted, though they might suffer, though they might be shipwrecked, it gives them the power to praise God in the midst of it. I'm reminded of the one story where a few of the, the disciples are taken into the jail, and what are they doing? They're singing hymns as they're locked up. I'm reminded of the way that Paul, he shares his faith. He's able to say, he wrote Philippians from the jail cell, which were several of the promises that we just read written from the jail. And what he, one thing that he's saying is, I know God has me here because even the guards are becoming Christians. He's sitting there in the jail saying, I don't know why God has me here. It would be so easy to be down to think God doesn't love me, he doesn't care about me. He's like, no, God has a plan for me and I'm gonna be sharing my faith with these guards. He's gonna come through even here. Maybe God coming through for me when I'm in jail at that moment isn't getting out of jail but it's maybe exercising my faith in a different kind of way and sharing my faith. An even better example of someone who trusted the promises of God all the time is Jesus Christ himself, of course. When he was in the wilderness, Satan offered to shortcut everything. You can have the whole world. All you have to do is bend the knee to me, is what he told Jesus. He offered Jesus all kinds of things. 
But God trusted, or Jesus trusted in God alone. He trusted in the promises that God gave. And even more than that, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows he's about to die. He's pleading with the Lord. If there's any other way, I'll take it. That's what he's saying. Is there any other way? But he trusts that God wants what's best, and it's not all about himself. Jesus has this ultimate trust in Christ. That's what it looks like to take God at his word at all times. You just don't have to look much farther than, than the person of Jesus, which seems like an impossible example. Uh, and it is, but that's what it means to follow Jesus. God comes through even when it seems impossible. As we mentioned earlier, Abraham and Sarah, they doubted this promise of God over and over again. It, it took 25 years for just one part of the three-part promise to be granted to Abraham. 25 years. I haven't waited for 25 years for anything in my entire life. I have a hard time waiting two days for Amazon Prime shipping. It's, it's not something that's easy to wait for 25 years. They were getting old. It felt impossible, but God came through. And look at how they responded. Verse 6 of, of Genesis chapter 21. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne a son in my old age. Who would have thought? Here I am, I'm old, really old. That's what Sarah, or excuse me, I'm advanced in years. <laughs> really advanced in years. And who would have thought that I would have a child. <laughs> Us, can you believe it? Can you believe it, the joy? Some of you, of you are uh, looking at your own life and you're saying, what am I doing? How, what is God doing? Why am I here? What is happening? And I think that for many of us, I mean, it is appropriate to lament circumstances that we find ourselves in. We do live in a fallen world. But for many of us, the problem isn't where we are, but it's a lack of perspective as to where, we're all, where we are. You see, we have this limited perspective where we can only see things from our point of view. But then when you zoom out and you look at things from God's point of view, it looks a little bit different. We might see what the author of the story is doing. You know those books where the character just doesn't get it, but the author's already disclosed to you what he's doing or what's happening to the character? We need that type of perspective. And good for us, the author of life has given us much perspective that we need to run back to and, and see the narration that's happening in our life and how he is shaping us in those moments. God can seem slow, or distant, or harsh from our perspective, but it's just because we don't see life from his perspective. I was talking to one of my friends earlier this week um, about an experience that I've experienced as well, uh, but it's a perfect illustration for this. They had taken their toddler to get blood work done. And uh, for those of you who have never had a toddler that has had blood work done, the way that they do that, is has, it has to be the worst possible way. I don't think that there could be 
I don't know why they do this. There has to be another way to do this. I just, I don't, I, it, I guess it's like one of those things that hospitals just keep doing. Um, but what they do to a toddler to get blood is they prick the toddler's finger and then they squeeze it for like 10 minutes and try to squeeze blood out of that tiny little hole. All the while, you cannot reason with a toddler. The toddler's like, look, you're holding your child as the doctor, this, this instrument of torture is coming to them and squeezing their finger of all of its blood. And the toddler's just looking up at you like, really, dad? Really? Like, you're going to make this person, you're going to let this person do this to me? And they're screaming at the top of your, their lungs. And it's like, child, you lack perspective. I could explain to you why we have to do blood work and how we need to do these routine tests that will make sure that you're not a hemophilic or something, although you're obviously not a hemophilic or this would be a lot easier. Um, <laughs> we need to make sure that you're a healthy child. But that doesn't compute to a one-year-old. The one-year-old is like, it hurts. That's all that a one-year-old sees. And we so often find ourselves in that place where it hurts. And that's all we see. And we know that our Father is holding us and caring for us and has more knowledge than we do. And who has the perspective to see that what we're going through is necessary for our own good. There are times when we go through really difficult times and he holds us close and he cares for us. He sympathizes with us. But he also will always do what's best for us. Abraham and Sarah, they saw that God came through after years of what felt like inexplicable waiting. And he'll come through for you too, church. He'll come through for you too. At this point, the story takes a turn, okay? This is all we read because it's the pleasant part of this chapter. Um, strategically for me, I leave out the, the unpleasant parts. Um, but we'll go through it. Because at this point, the story takes a turn. We do another little time jump. And three years later, we find Isaac, whose name means laughter, as we know, as we've covered. Uh, this child that Abraham and Sarah bore his name is Isaac, which means laughter, which is like, who, who would have thought it'd be us? So little laughter, he's having his three-year celebration. This is when they would wean children in uh, ancient times. Feels a little late to me, but that's okay. Uh, some of you might be like that. Um, there's a big party to celebrate Isaac, and Sarah looks around the corner, and who does she see? But Ishmael. Now, if you remember, Ishmael is the son of Hagar, which was Sarah's handmaiden, that uh, she had devised this really great plan. I mean, Sarah had gone to, to Abraham and was like, look, God's not coming through. He's not fulfilling our promises. We need to take things in our own hand. Here's my handmaiden, Hagar. You, you marry her too. You have a child, and we'll raise a child together, and that will be God's promised child to us. Come to find out, after Hagar had a child, Sarah decided that she didn't like that plan so much. And then she started treating Hagar and Ishmael really cruelly. And so now at this point in the story, Ishmael is like, he's, he's 16 years old. And so he's this teenager. And this is what happens. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. 
It was a big party. It's his birthday party, okay? But Sarah, maybe not. It was just the day he was weaned. Um, but Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. And what was he doing? But laughing. Now, you guys know the Hebrew word for laughter. It's Isaac, okay? Like, you know that one. And so we come to this word, and it's, it's this great wordplay that the Scripture is doing. Because Ishmael is looking at Isaac, and what is he doing? He's Isaacing. And, but the emphasis on this word, if you, there's different tenses and forms that you can put words in. And even some of the other translations interpret it a little bit different. The word that they use isn't laughter, but it's mocking. And so what's Ishmael doing? He's the 16-year-old, and he's making fun of his little brother, his little half-brother, Isaac. He's mocking him. That's what the NIV translates it as. Paul later talks about this in Galatians chapter 4, talks about this exact episode, and he says this, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise, meaning you, you belong to the Lord in that way. But just as at the time he was born according to the flesh, uh, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, which is Ishmael in this story, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now for you. And so the way that Paul interprets this little episode, and it gives us a little bit of clarity as to how we're to read this, is Paul is saying Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. Uh, that seems a little intense to us sometimes because we're like their kids, 16-year-old, 3-year-old, but the way that he read that is it was mocking, it was rude, it was wrong, he was persecuting him. And so this is how Sarah responds. So Sarah said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. That's cold, okay? She won't even say their names. She's avoiding their names. She's avoiding personifying them at all. She's removing human dignity. Cast out who? The slave woman and her son. Not your son, Abraham. She could have easily said your son. And instead, she's removing them completely. And she's saying, cast them out. It makes sense the way that she clarifies it. She says, for, this, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. She's trying to avoid a secession battle. But she's also just upset because she saw Ishmael making fun of her son Isaac. And so one side note here. Um, as I mentioned, Sarah dug herself into this hole. And she regrets this decision that she made but she still has to deal with the consequences. Sin has consequences. And we wish it wasn't so. We wish that we could just say sorry and move on with our lives. But friends, if you are serving a sentence for murder and you become a Christian in the process, it doesn't mean that you get out of prison. You still face the consequences for your sin. And it goes even on the smaller scale as well. If we are harsh with one another, and we break friendships, we can't expect those things to be instantly healed even though we feel sorry and we wish that we could heal them. But sin has consequences and it often takes time to heal and some sins have longer consequences, longer lasting consequences. And here Sarah's dealing with 
the consequences of sin. She made a poor decision. She, this was her idea. And Abraham is dealing with the consequences of sin. He could have said, no, we will trust in the Lord. But he's dealing with these consequences. And this is how he responds as, as Sarah tells him to get rid of that slave woman and her son. Verse 11, and the thing, and the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on the count of his son. So Abraham doesn't share Sarah's hatred. He loves Ishmael, but God said to Abraham, verse 12, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For though Isaac shall, for through Isaac your offspring shall be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So this is what happens. Verse 14 So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of my child. And she sat opposite him, and she lifted up her voice and wept. What a terrible reality for a mother. Leaving her child to die, but being unable personally, emotionally, to be able to witness that death. And so she walks away and cries by herself while she leaves her child by himself. And at that moment, verse 17, And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. So Ishmael, like Isaac after him in this next chapter, is saved by a voice from heaven. At the very last moment, God intercedes, God speaks, and he saves Ishmael, he comes through at the last moment. He has a heart even for the outcast, even for those who are not in the promised family, so to speak. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And I think that what we can take from this is that God comes through, he always does, But sometimes he does it in more dramatic fashion. And friends, it's not deliverance unless it's the 11th hour. It's not deliverance unless it's the last minute, the last moment. God could have provided Hagar and Ishmael with water much earlier. They could have just walked upon a well and said, oh, look, a well, and taken the water. But then who would have gotten the credit? God certainly wouldn't have gotten the credit. They would have gotten the credit. Oh, look, great. Great for us. We found a well. It's not deliverance if it's not the 11th hour. Imagine with me for a moment that in the great American classic Endgame, the heroes come back like two hours earlier than when they did, all right? It's this big epic moment, the the bad guy's about to win, and then these portals open up and heroes from the past come walking back to life, okay? Sorry, I just ruined the movie, it's like four years old. (laughs) It's the, most, it's the most popular movie of all time. It's okay. Uh, so they come back right at the nick of time. 
to save the day. They're all coming back. If that had happened an hour earlier in the movie, well, you don't have a movie. It's just like fast forward, they win, Thanos is nothing, whatever. You don't have a movie. It's not deliverance unless, the, unless it's the 11th hour. In the other great American classic, Space Jam, the, the tunes are out of hope. They're about to lose the game. And who shows up but Bill Murray, who's barely in the movie up until that point. And it just makes sense because it's Bill Murray. And he shows up to save the day and to win against the Monstars and to earn all the NBA stars' powers back. When I was in college, uh, I was about to start my first semester of college. And I had planned with a friend to uh, room with him in the dorm. And uh, he called me about a week before school. And he said, this is my, be- this is my best friend. He ended up being my best man uh, in my wedding. And he's a pastor also. Um, and he, he called me and he said, hey, I hate to say this, but I just don't have the money to stay in the dorm. I'm going to have to stay at my mom's house. And and uh, after I recognized that that wasn't his preferred living situation, um, I said, you know what, man? Like, I got scholarships this semester. I can, I can help you a little bit. I, I think I can chip in $600 to help you. And, you know, this is Mississippi 20 years ago, so that was a lot of money. And um, he was like, ah, oh, yeah, I just don't think that's enough. I don't think that that would do it. And at that moment, he's getting a call call waiting was new, but he, he had it. And, um, and he's like, hold on a minute, man. Let me, let me pick this up. And he picks it up, and I hold on for like two minutes. And then he comes back, and he says, you're not going to believe it, but I need exactly $1,200 to make this work. And my sister just called me saying that she could give me $600 if I could find 600 elsewhere. And I'm like... Well, that's God. Let's go. Let's go. And we lived together for that room in that year, and we were just best friends. It was a great time. Now, if his sister had called him an hour earlier, if I'd made that offer at a different time, we wouldn't have recognized that it was from the Lord. We wouldn't have recognized that it was from the Lord. It's because of the way that the Lord lined up all the circumstances to where we can see, wow. This is from him. And you probably have stories like this, where God's come through just at the right time. But how many stories are you missing? Because God's come through and it's not been the 11th hour. It's just happened. It just happened. But maybe it didn't. Maybe it didn't just happen. If he owns everything, can he not make it happen before the 11th hour? But we recognize it as deliverance when it's the 11th hour, when it's right at the end. And that is when he is glorified and magnified the most sometimes because it's recognized as deliverance. God helps us with all kinds of things. He always comes through. It doesn't mean that everything's going to turn out the way we want or the way that we like. For example, all people die. People get sick. They suffer. It doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. 
But it does mean that even in the struggles in life, we can trust him, that he has a plan, that he cares, that he has the better perspective on it, and that the hardship produces perseverance in us, which produces hope in us. Because he comes through even in death. Even in death, we have this hope that we will one day be resurrected as he is. You see, there's nothing that is without hope for the believer. Because in the 11th hour, in fact, you could even say it's past the 11th hour, the disciples were looking at Jesus, they buried him in a tomb. And they said, this is over, movie over. Let's move on with our lives. And the next thing they know, who's walking through the wall and asking for some fish? It's Jesus Christ. He's resurrected. He appears to them. Through Jesus, his resurrection, we have hope of eternal and everlasting life with God. Our God comes through in life and in death, and he's coming back. And so our greatest hope is that he will return to make all things new. We can look forward to and long for that day. So, friends, as we end here, I, I have a couple of questions. Are you, who are you in this story? Who do you resonate with? Do you resonate with Sarah? Waiting on a promise for years and years and years and years and just waiting on God to deliver and God to, to come through on his promise. Maybe you're in the place of Sarah or maybe you can resonate more with Abraham who's suffering under past sins and, and is agonizing because of bad decisions that he's made in his past. Maybe you suffer with Hagar, who's just a serial victim of the sin of others here. Or maybe you resonate with Ishmael, someone who was mocked, who, someone who mocked, someone who wasn't upright at all times, but was saved despite himself. That's the Apostle Paul, mocking Christians, persecuting them, and then Jesus appears to him one day, and what happens? He sees, he finally sees, well he doesn't at first, but then he finally does see a moment later. And that's me too. I'm no better than those who crucified our Lord. In fact, it was my sin that held him there. It was my mocking voice saying, I don't need you, I don't care about you. But for me, he was crucified. I'm, I might as well have been in the crowd saying, I don't need this, or hanging him on the cross because it was for my sin that he hung on the cross. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice calling out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. He comes through and he's come through for us and he always will come through. Each week we celebrate his finished work through a sacred meal. And we're reminded of what he's done for us as we tear the bread. On the night that he was betrayed, he tore the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And so as we participate in this meal as Christians, we're reminded that his body was broken for us and that his blood was shed for us. So let's stand as we prepare our hearts to respond to him in worship. Father, as we come to this meal, I want to pray for those who are waiting on you. That you would come through for them. That you would help them to see things from your perspective. God, I pray for those who are in the 11th hour, who are dying to hear from you. And I pray that you will speak, that they'll hear this morning as they take this meal, as they engage with you, as they sing these songs. And God, I pray for those of us who, who don't have hope in anything, who feel lost and without direction. God, we pray that you will point us in the image of your son, that you'll point us toward Jesus and help us to see that he cares for us. As we take this meal, help us to do it in a worthy way. Help us to examine our own lives and to repent of our sins and to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.